This morning I want to uh, follow on from last week. Um, I'm going to try not to preach for an hour, because uh, last week was a bit long. <laughs> and I'm sorry about that. I don't want to make any promises though, because you know time just moves on. We live in, a, we live in this world of uh, information, of, of lots of words. Last week I said words, words, words. We're being bombarded with words. There's information and words and, and voices, like constant communication, uh, advertisements, um, influences. I love how that's a, that's, a, that's a thing now that you have uh, social media influences, influences, um, manipulation and advertising, news, and there's all kinds of news. And a lot of it is actually is bad news. It's uh, negative news. I wrote a speech when I was in Form 1 about negative news that Dad keeps reminding me of. Negative news, I said. And yet Christianity, or the Christian church at its heart, has this message of good news. A message of good news. That Jesus is God, that he's the sovereign king of kings, and his kingdom, the kingdom of God, is advancing. It's on the move. The kingdom of God is advancing with life and restoration. And in our, in our culture, in our world, we're, we're faced just with a, with a torrent of, of, uh, of information. Torrents of information, words, news, and, and noise. And so given that we're, we're faced with so much uh, news and, and noise and information all the time, we've got to make sure that the good news is, is the one that is uh, loud and clear. It is the most obvious thing um, in, in, our, in our minds and in our hearts. The gospel has to be the constant ground beneath our feet, or the, it's got to be the banner above our heads. It's got to be the loudest, it's got to be the clearest. It was really cool, Nicholas, the songs that you chose this morning and, you, and that last one about singing about the gospel, O Lord, is the hope for our nation. I love that. So what is the gospel? It's, uh, you've heard me say this, uh, some of you heard me say this before, the gospel is, a, is an old word, it comes from the old English that literally means good news. And good news, I think it's helpful to think about what is good news. Tessa and I have this sort of running joke that um, sometimes we'll wake up in the, often we'll wake up in the morning and, and we're just too tired, right? You don't want to go to work, can't be bothered with anything. And so I'll go, oh, Tessa, I just, I just had a phone call from the Prime Minister. And she's decided that today is a public holiday. It's a new public holiday. That would be good news, eh? That would be good news. That's the kind of good news. Or after this, we might, um, after this, we might check our phone. I say after this because I know that none of you are checking your phones right now. After this, we might check our phone and then, and there might be a report that uh, there's no new COVID cases. That would be good news. That would be good news. But even better would be news that um, a, a cure for COVID has been discovered. That would be, that would be good news, wouldn't it? That would be good news. And so and we're, and we're kind of, I think we're kind of living in this moment of, of an expectation that we're going to be hearing good news at some point, like uh, that, that, you know, COVID level, COVID cases are going to drop off up in, up in Auckland and, and that um, some smart people will uh, come up with a cure. We're living with this expectation. Now, Jews at the time of Jesus were also living in a, with, with expectation of, of something to come 
of hope and and the language that they used for this was the kingdom of God. They were and they were an oppressed people and the uh, an oppressed under Roman rule and the and the kingdom meant that uh, they were going to be set free. They're going to be able to to govern themselves. They're going to be under the rule uh, of the king of the kingdom, who was the Messiah. He was going to rule over them, and the and the king, this Messiah that was from God, was going to lead them into into being a triumphant and a glorious nation, and they weren't going to have any fear of other nations and what was going on. And there was also this hope that God of the universe, the one who they they called I am, the one who is the I am, um, would be with them again, would be present with them. That His holy presence would fill the temple. And I think this is really, it's really helpful for us to just always like keep that really uh, clear in our minds because Jesus turns up and he proclaims the good news and he says the gospel, the gospel of God. Yeah, he talks about the gospel of God and he says the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe in the gospel. The time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe in the gospel. That's in Mark chapter 1, 14 and 15. And, and you, when you read that, it, it actually, like, honestly, it doesn't really sound like, unless you kind of know the background, it doesn't really sound like good news. It just sounds like, well, okay, the kingdom of God is here, repent and, and believe the gospel. It doesn't, it doesn't sound like good news unless we understand at least some of the aspects of this, of this phrase, kingdom of God. It's a, it's a massive loaded phrase. This kingdom that they were hoping for, and it's and it's good news, for at least three reasons. I think the kingdom of God is good news because it's this kingdom that they'd been hoping for, and it was finally close. and And Matt talked about this a couple of weeks ago. How and the king, the kingdom of God, and Jesus was actually finally here. It was present. It wasn't necessarily what they expected, but it was better than what they expected. The kingdom of God, um, so when you read the stories about Jesus, you see what the kingdom of God looks like. People were healed of sickness. They were healed of fevers, of leprosy. People were set free from demons. That caused insanity. People were raised from the dead back to life. You know, these are just some examples. Like what else was happening in the kingdom of God? There was, there was prophetic insight. Jesus could understand what was going on in people's lives. He could, he could also see prophetically a much wider perspective of what God was doing uh, in, in the world. This prophetic insight is part of the kingdom. Forgiveness of sins and transformation of lives so that people um, begin living aligned, aligned with the order of the creator and by the and and living in line with the creator of the universe. That's all part of this. This is part of this message of the kingdom of God. It's all encompassing. There's even, I love this, there's even strategies for how to be an effective fisherman. So if you're a fisherman, there's good news in the kingdom of God. Uh, Jesus told disciples, there's a story where Jesus told the disciples, they were fishermen, they knew fishing. And he comes along and tells them, why don't you go fishing over there? And they do it, and then they catch all this fish. So in the kingdom, there's strategies for effective fishing. Or if you want to extrapolate that further, I guess it's strategies for effective business or, um, or whatever it is, you know, strategies for effective parenting. And... and these are some of the things that it looks like, but what does it feel like? Like we talked about, you know, joking before about having virtual food. 
And when you eat virtual food, you start to imagine and start to imagine it. But what does it what does it feel like? What does the kingdom of God feel like? It feels like it feels like love. It feels like joy, peace, forbearance. To use an old-fashioned word: kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These are the feelings that we can begin like connecting with the kingdom of God. So that's that's the first reason why this is good news is because. When you understand the kingdom, you realize, man, the kingdom is, is actually what all of us, I think when you dial down, are really, really hoping for. The second reason that it's good news is, is because Jesus comes along and he says, the kingdom of God is at hand, but it's only for the upper class. No, he doesn't say that, right? He doesn't say the kingdom of God is here for the religious elite, for those that have got it together. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say the kingdom of God is only here if you say the right words at the right time in the right way and you wear the right shoes. He doesn't say that. It's for everybody. The second reason that's good news is because it's for everybody. The invitation goes out to everybody. You know, going back to um, my my we you know, analogy with COVID-19. So we, we, we have this hope and an expectation that a cure is going to be found. But when you read the news, you, you, you realize that um, there's a whole lot of political and diplomatic drama that is associated with a cure. You know, if a vaccine is um, discovered in Russia, as has been reported, how are we going to get our hands on that vaccine that comes from Russia? All right. What if, what if a cure was only available in some places like the USA or UK or China or, or Russia? What about the rest of us? Well, it would be good news, but it's good news for them. It's not good news for us. But the good news of the gospel is that it's, it goes out to everybody. Everybody gets invited into it. And the third reason is... Because it doesn't require people to jump through religious hoops. Jesus makes it really simple. He says, repent and believe the gospel. That's all. Repent and believe the gospel. Repent and believe the gospel. And it's simple, but it's profound. It's huge. It's everything. Repent. Repent means changing your mind. Repent means aligning yourself with God and with what God wants. Repenting means turning away from, from the world or from uh, things that, uh, that we want to kind of lift up and worship. Turn away from those things and turn towards God. And then there's the, there's the other word, believe. And we hear a word like believe, and sometimes we, we, we think that that simply means like, um, I don't know, um, I believe in science, or um, I don't believe in science. <laughs> you know, they're, they're like, it's just this mental thing. It's a mental decision. But that's not the kind of belief that we're talking about here. The kind of belief that Jesus is talking about is, is, is then to live in light of that truth. Live in line with what's happening. Live in the realization that the good news is true. Live, he's telling them, he's going, okay, repent. The kingdom of God is here. So now is a good time. Now is a very good time to put your attention back on God where it wasn't before. And live 
as though the kingdom is, is here. Okay? Again, you could think about this with the, with my, with the COVID illustration. If a, if a cure was discovered and it, and it was available and we knew we could get our hands on it tomorrow or next week, then life would be completely different, wouldn't it? We'd be living in, in the light of, of that good news. The good news is that God hasn't forgotten us. He hasn't left us to descend into chaos. He has a strategy to restore things to the way he intended them to be and to be in full relationship with, with people. This is the kingdom. The kingdom is governed by a king who cares, who loves us, each of us, individually. The king, this king is so good that he, lays, he laid down his life for us. He's a better king than other kings. Suffered and died on our behalf so that we could have eternal life in God. The good news of the gospel is that it's for everybody, not just the wealthy, not just the clean, not just people who have their lives together. I know there's people like that out there. Not just people of certain races or ethnic groups or languages. Everybody is invited into this. The good news of the gospel is that it doesn't require us to go through religious methods to receive what God is offering. We don't have to say the right things at the right time, wear the right clothes, behave in the right way at the right time. The requirement is actually far more than that. The requirement is that we repent and believe. We turn toward God, turns toward God from other stuff that doesn't align with God, turning away from idols in our lives, turning away from things in, in our culture which are not of God, and turn to God, turning away from sin, turning towards God, believing in the King, Jesus, and his advancing kingdom. All right, be good to open the Bible up again, eh? So if you have your Bible uh, handy, then um, then turn to John. Book of John, the gospel according to John, or in my old old Popper's Bible, the gospel according to St. John. We have in our Bibles, we have these four books, and they're called Gospels. Gospel, as I was saying, is the good news, and they're all about Jesus. The stories about Jesus, the life and the ministry of Jesus. Jesus is at the heart of the good news. So John 1, John 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was not made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son, from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. And from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ, no one has ever seen God. Only, no one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. 
No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. This is, this is just the beginning of the gospel according to St. John, the gospel of St. John. And it's like the summary of, 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 of the gospel the way he, he saw it. And in it, he talks about receiving Jesus, believing in Jesus. And it's all this, this invitation to trust, not in ourselves, not in our own ability to earn God's favor, to earn God's acceptance, but to trust in him and what Jesus has done for us. We, we receive it. And again, like this is, we, we've got to be a people that really hold on, hold on to this. Because as uh, Tim Keller talks about and others talk about, we have a tendency to uh, three, three ways. He talks about irreligion, which is where we go, it's, it's all nonsense. Jesus doesn't exist. God doesn't exist. There is no, there is no invitation. The, the third way. <laughs> no, Matt, do you, want me to, do you want the third way to be the good way or the stink way? Okay, the third way is going to be the good way. The second way, the first way, ignore it, say it's nonsense. The second way is to fall in, in back into uh, jumping through religious hoops for doing things to earn God's acceptance, to earn God's favor. There can be all kinds of things, all kinds of things. But then there's the third way. I'm going to have some examples in a second, but there's the, then there's the third way. And that's to hear this invitation from Jesus to repent and believe, to be welcomed in to God's family, to become children of God, and then our behavior flows out of, flows out of that. We respond out of that. So Tim Keller, he talks about this quite a lot, and I think it's... Um, Tim Keller, if you haven't heard from him, he, he is a um, Presbyterian minister from New York City. Um, he, a very, very clever guy, but he, he said... Um, that he wasn't going to write a book until he was over the age of 60, I think it was, over the age of 60, um, until he felt like he actually had something to write about. He, he goes, in religion, religion says, I obey, therefore I am accepted. And he con- contrasts that with the gospel, which says, I'm accepted, therefore I obey. Uh, religion says, in religion, our motivation is based on fear and insecurity, fear of God, fear of others. In a, a gospel-based life, our motivation is, is based on grateful joy. Religion says, I obey God in order to get things from God. And the gospel says, I obey God to get God, to delight in him and resemble him. Another example, religion my prayer life consists lastly uh, my prayer life consists largely of petition and it only heats up when I am in time of need. My main purpose in prayer is control of the environment. And he con- contrasts that with the gospel where my prayer life consists of generous stretches of praise and adoration. My main purpose is fellowship with God. I, c- I can't remember if I've told if I've told this story before. Some of you might have heard it, but um Years ago, now uh, I think it was 2007, I was working for an organization called the Bible Society. And I began uh, working in their warehouse. I was packing Bibles into boxes and sending them away to uh, all kinds of places, uh, bookshops, prisons, and the Freemasons. 
weirdly enough. And um, anyway, after after a time of working in the in the warehouse, I got chatting to to the CEO, and he found out that I had a background in research, and. And I ended up doing this this research project for them where we were looking at um, Bible engagement uh, practices and uh, stats around that in, in New Zealand and especially for Christians in New Zealand. And um, so I did this project. I was looking at Bible engagement, reading so much about how it's so important to uh, like read the Bible, to get into the into the Word and to study it. And by the end of that year, it took me yeah, the project took about a year. By the end of it. I couldn't read the Bible anymore. It was just the weirdest thing. And actually, when, when, they, when I finished my job there, they gave me uh, some vouchers, and I went and spent it on Bibles. And so I had this, this stack of Bibles. Who remember uh, um, my friend Chris Malcolm? We were flatting together, and we were both sons of pastors. And so we had, a, um, we had this competition to see who had the highest stack of Bibles. And like seriously, they were quite high. And anyway, so I I got to this point and I couldn't I couldn't even pick it up. I couldn't even read it. It was it just felt it felt so heavy to me. Like this weight of expectation of what this book was going to do when I read it. Um can anybody relate to that? I, I just I don't know what it was, but I couldn't read it and and at that time, my uh, my prayer life, my uh, my quiet time praying with Lord, with praying to the Lord, was really connected with reading the Bible. I'd do them both at the same time, so I couldn't read the Bible, so I wasn't praying anymore. I was probably still worship leading on Sunday. Sorry to everybody that was here. <laughs> and so I don't know how long this went for, but it went for a while, and then. Um, I started another job. I was working at, um, up at the Melligan Institute in Kelvin, and I was riding my bike. I'd ride my bike from Kilburnie to Kelvin. And in a, in a space of a really short amount of time, I think it was a month or two months, I just had so many um, interactions with cars <laughs> as I was riding my bike. And by interactions, I mean collisions, like um I was mostly my own fault, like, uh, you know, uh, overtaking cars on the inside when they're turning left and then getting uh, hit by a car, or um, Tessa and I weren't married at that point, so um, I didn't have to worry that I was um, uh, going to not come home. Um, <laughs> that went a bit morbid. <laughs> yeah, don't forget to sign up for HOSPO, by the way. Um, and I had all these, I had all these accidents, and I think there was about five or six of them. And they, were, you know, there was one. I was coming down the terrace, and um, there was two lanes, and the car next to me decided it's going to pull over and cut into a car park. So that wasn't my fault. And he hit me, and I remember flying through the air, going, "This is it. This is it. This is how it ends." And um, well, I was quite calm about it. <laughs> what can you do? <laughs> And, uh, and anyway, I didn't, I didn't even get, I, oh no, I had a sore wrist, that was it, I didn't, didn't die, obviously. Uh, well, maybe, I don't know, maybe, I, maybe this is, anyway. Um, <laughs> this is going on a strange tangent. So I got home, and I was like, this is just a bit strange, like, um, I know what I'll do, I'll pray, I'm going to pray before I get on my bike that God will protect me as I ride my bike. 
to work. So that's what I did. I, that's what, yeah, that's what I did. I, I, I put my kit on, had my helmet on, and before I left the door, I'd sit down on my bed and say, Lord Jesus, uh, I don't want to have accidents on my bike today. Um, please protect me. And so when you look at Tim Keller's list of things, right? So this was my prayer life consists largely of petition. It only heats up when I'm in time of need. My main purpose in prayer is control of the environment. Basically, all of those things, right? And yet, this is the craziest thing. <laughs> it even makes me emotional now. And yet, God met me in those, in those times. And so it began just simply like praying. It was like probably a five-second prayer. And then I started to feel God somehow. Like I, often I feel, I feel emotional when it's... And, and it's not because I'm sad, and it's not even because I'm happy. It sort of like comes from outside, and so I think it's God. And I'd read, um, I took one of my Bibles from this big stack, and it was a message Bible, and, and I'd sort of like read, read the Psalms. And I'd read like a, a verse or two verses, and I'd just be bawling my eyes out. And I can't even explain like what it was. It wasn't anything, it wasn't necessarily anything in the words themselves that was touching me or making me feel something. It just felt like it was this, it was the Spirit of God meeting me in that place. Isn't that weird? It's so weird. And this went on for months and months. Like I'd, all I'd have to do was just open the message Bible, turn to a psalm and read it, and I'd be, oh, goodness me, have the hankies handy. And this, this became like a, I guess, like a quiet time. And I'd um, make sure... I had a coffee, and I'd call it a coffee coffee of Jesus. And that's all it was. And so it went from being absolutely a religious act. And, but then it became this, this relational relationship where my main purpose was fellowship with God. Isn't that interesting? So interesting. I call it like the restoration of my quiet times. And now, like, if I... I talked about this last week. If I don't have if I don't have a time with the Lord during the day, it honestly feels like my day is all just a bit out of whack, just a bit off kilter. Jesus graciously met with me. So at, at the start I talked about how we live in a world of information, of words, 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 voices, communication, advertisements and news. And it's a, and it just makes your head spin. Well it does for me anyway. Uh, it, it can make my heart pound with anxiety. It can make it can make us question everything. It can make us question um, meaning, purpose, and truth. And yet Jesus says that His words, His words are a firm foundation. That if if we are wise, He says, build your house, on, build your lives on My words. If we are wise, we should build our lives on what He says. And the implication is that everything else that we try to build our life on is not a firm foundation. So we need to make sure, and I talked about this last week, we need to make sure that Jesus' words are, these, are the, the clearest and the loudest in our lives. Because the gospel, the good news, is life for, the, for those that believe. It's power. And last week I talked about how the king called when the king calls, and he called uh, Saul, Paul, and he called Ananias, and he came and he called Samuel. And in all these stories, it was a really obvious thing. It was a really loud, clear, and obvious voice. 
that you know a couple of them actually thought that it was an audible it was a um it was someone speaking to them like samuel he goes to he goes to eli the priest in the other room and he goes was that you calling to me it was an audible voice but the king doesn't always yell hey sometimes he whispers I think often he whispers. And I, I wonder if this is actually, he does it on purpose. So that we, we get up close to him. And we, we kind of come up and we and you can imagine like, like if, if, Jesus is, if Jesus is standing over there and he's whispering, you've got to get up close. And you've got to make, you've got to make sure that, that the rest of the space is quiet, that the noise is, is down. I wonder if it's his, I wonder if he prefers it this way so that we are, we become more intimate with him because he's a God that wants our relationship. And I, we need to we need a clear space in our lives to position ourselves to hear the King of Kings. We need to you know if you grow in a garden then then what you do is you clear space around the plants that you want to grow so that the so that those plants grow up and they're not sort of claustrophobically surrounded by weeds. And this becomes very, very practical. It becomes a very pragmatic thing where we actually have to, have to almost like carve time out of our day to make it happen or to have that space to be able to, to, be able to hear the whispers of the king, to be able to hear what he says. You need to carve out time. Psalm 46. Psalm 46. This is a good one. I'm just going to jump right to the end. No, I'll start at the beginning, and then I'll jump to the end. Our God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. And then I'll jump to the end. It says, Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Be still and know that I am Lord. There's a story in the Old Testament of a prophet. His name uh, is Elijah. He's, he's, a, he's a bit of a hero. And he, he's a prophet, so he heard from the Lord. And there's a story about how there's this great big test, this great strategy where um, he challenges the priests of, of, uh, of the other god, Baal, and in this test, he says, okay, let's set up an altar and we're going to put a sacrifice on the altar and we'll pray to our, I'm going to pray to my God and you pray to your God. And, and if your God is real, then fire will come down and consume that sacrifice. And so, and so in this battle, to cut it all short, um, the priests of Baal did that and nothing happened. And they were even like cutting themselves and maiming themselves to try to get their gods to listen, but nothing happened. And then Elijah gets up there and, and he prays, and it's a simple prayer, and fire comes down from heaven and consumes it. It's a cool story. Like, like he must have felt pretty good about himself. And then, but then it kind of like goes, it goes into the sort of a subsequent chapter in the story, and, he, and he's on his own, and he's actually hiding out in a cave because he's afraid of everything that's going on. 
He's afraid of, he's afraid of these people who <laughs> he humiliated, that they're going to come and get him. And in the story, this is in uh, First Kings. Uh, I'm not even going to turn to it. I'm just going to read it from, from my notes over here. The Lord speaks to the prophet Elijah. <laughs> the, <Lord, laughs> the Lord speaks to the prophet Elijah. And, and he goes, he says to Elijah, Go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Many of you probably know this story. Now, like if you heard that, the Lord is about to pass by, you're expecting something obvious, aren't you? If the Lord spoke to you and said, okay, Zeke, go up to the top of um, a hill. (laughs) Mount Vic. The Lord is about to pass by. You're probably going to expect, ah, this is going to be obvious. This is going to be clear. This is going to be loud. I can keep listening. I can keep my earphones in. No, I'm not saying this about you, Zeke. I'm talking about uh, myself. I can keep my earphones in. I can keep checking the news because the Lord's about to pass by. It's going to be obvious. It's going to be clear. All right? Now, there was a great wind. Well, this happens basically all the time in Wellington. There was a great wind so strong that it was splitting mountains and breaking rocks into pieces before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. Kind of surprising. And after the wind was an earthquake. He could be talking about Wellington. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a sound of sheer silence. Sound of sheer silence. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. Then there came a voice to him that said, What are you doing here, Elijah? (laughs) And it was the Lord in the silence, in the silence. Last week I talked about those, you know, I talked about a few people, and one of them was Ananias. And if you turn to, sorry, I'll I'll do it for you. In Acts chapter 3, right? No, sorry, X chapter uh, X chapter eight. The Lord said the Lord said to said to Ananias, spoke to him in a vision. Ananias, he said, and I Ananias said, Here I am. I also spoke about Samuel, who later became this amazing prophet. And first Samuel. And the Lord called Samuel. And he said, here I am. And there's another prophet. His name is Isaiah. And, I, and this is what it says. I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? Then I said, here I am. Moses. Moses was out in the, out in the desert and he comes across this bush which is burning and the Lord, the, Lord saw, the Lord saw that Moses turned aside to see, and God called to him out of the bush. He goes, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Remember Father Abraham? The angel of the Lord called to him from heaven, said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am.
it would go right back to the to the Garden of Eden and um, Adam and Eve. They they they'd really made a mess of things, eh? Uh, there was this perfect creation. The Lord longed to be in relationship, longed to spend time with them, longed to talk to them, hang out with them, and they they disobeyed what He said, and they were ashamed and they hid away. And then they heard in this garden, they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and the woman hid themselves from the presence of God among the trees of the of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, "Where are you?" And Adam didn't say, here I am. He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. But the Lord, he's looking for people that will say, here I am. When he calls, and he calls gently. Sometimes he calls loudly, sometimes he calls gently. And in those moments we go, here I am. I've been thinking about this lately, how, you know, I was talking about, um, you know, my quiet times and I was like, begin by... um, I begin by like praying, Lord Jesus, please protect me on my bike. And then, and then I guess like even our prayer life, they sometimes develop, and we sometimes like we come with so many, so many expectations again. Like, oh, how do I pray? How do what do I? What are the words I need to say? And I've just been thinking about this recently, and like just sitting down on the couch and saying, "Here I am. Here I am." And then I imagine the Lord saying back to me. Here I am. Here, H-E-A-R, I am. Or here I am. The Lord is a, is a communicating God, and we, off, we sometimes we really struggle to hear his voice. We struggle to feel his presence. And yet, and yet he's an omnipresent God. His spirit fills the earth. So in any moment, where things are going, uh, things are going well, or things are going wrong. Um, you're stuck in a traffic jam. You're waiting for a counter at the shop, um, wherever it is. In all those kind of moments, we can say, "Lord, here I am," and we can hear Him speaking back to us, "Here I am." The gospel is God's gracious invitation into relationship with Him through Jesus. We can reject his invitation in two ways. We can say it's nonsense, I want nothing to do with it. We can reject his invitation by trying to earn, to try to do the right things at the right time to earn God's acceptance. Or we can accept his invitation uh, by going, this is relationship. This is relationship. You're here. I'm here. Let's talk. Let's korero. Uh, and repent and believe. I love it how, how the Lord is so gentle with us when he needs to be gentle or he's, he can be loud when he needs to be loud. All right. I'm sure that many of you are like me and, you, and you're thinking, coffee. No, you're thinking, I, I really long, you really long to hear the words of the Lord speak into your heart and speaking his life into your heart. So let's pray for it. Um, let's ask, ask the Lord to do that. Do you want to stand with me? We'll, if you want to. <laughs>
Lord Jesus, we thank you for what you've done. Thank you for your gospel, the gospel of your, of your kingdom, of your good kingdom, that you are, you are the God that's on the move, that your kingdom is advancing. You can't be stopped. You're the sovereign Lord. You're the, you're the great I am, the one who has always existed. You have no beginning. You're not going to have an end. Uh, Lord, thank you that you welcome us into, into your embrace. You invite us into be your, your children, your sons and your daughters. Thank you that you, you don't require of us to, um, to say the right words at the right time. Um, you don't require, uh, you don't even require like, like quiet times. And yet you give us this invitation to, uh, to be in a relationship with you and to, um, to park ourselves in places and to make space in our lives to hear your gentle, gentle whispers, to hear you say these simple words, here I am. So Holy Spirit, would you move in our hearts this morning, Lord? And during the week, Father, we cannot do this on our own. Because if we try to do it on our own, then we're just going to be trying to earn your acceptance once again. So let your spirit come. And I pray, Lord, for all of us here that you'd remind us, constantly remind us, Lord, we need reminding, that you'd remind us of your presence with us, that you, you are a whisper away, that we can simply even just like turn our, turn our mind towards you in, in a moment that you're always with us, that you never leave us or forsake us. And speak your words of life to us. And Father, I pray uh, this morning for those that are feeling uh, especially um, anxious and fearful at the moment. Lord, what a thing to carry. Lord, would you, would you, take, would you take us into your loving arms and, and lift that off and fill us instead with your peace, with your joy, with the hope of who you are and who we are in you, Lord. Would you break the chains of anxiety in our congregation this morning, Lord? In your name, Jesus, break it off, Lord. Break it off, Lord. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for your peace. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your good news. <laughs> Amen.